So we started a series two weeks ago called Better Together. And in this series, we're answering the question, um, in what ways are we better together? So two weeks ago, we started talking about friendships. We gave you the challenge following that to, rather than waiting to uh, have somebody be a friend to you, that you would go out and be that friend to someone else. And then last week, we talked about being better together in our families. And so that was the lesson. If you weren't here last week, like all the parents that were in here like, yeah, Michael, absolutely. So we talked all week about children obey your parents and honor your father and mother. And so like moms and dads were pumped about it. And some of the students in here were like, yeah, we don't, we don't actually have to talk about that again while I'm in youth ministry. We'll be good. Don't worry about it. But I also gave you another challenge, another challenge in that week going back to that first one. And it's this. You will not need your phone in this room or on this floor from here on out. And the reason I I told you that is because the accompanying challenge was that when you get here, you do that crazy, crazy, crazy thing of sitting and talking to people. it's, It's this incredible challenge that we would never actually attempt in our life to just sit and talk with people. But my challenge to you on this floor is to sit and talk to people because here's here's what I don't want you to miss out on. I don't want you to miss out on being together because you're you're somewhere else. And so made the commitment to you that the passages will be on screen. When you come back from spring break, you're going to see bookshelves full of Bibles at the front of the stage. And so if you need like an actual Bible in your hand, you don't have to depend on the Bible app. I want you to have that. If you need a Bible right now, there are Bibles in the back of the room right now that you can get. Um, but I'm going to make sure there's enough for everyone. And so the reason we do that is, is not because I don't like cell phones, which I don't, by the way. My fine motor skills are really bad, so I mess up all the time. But that's not the reason why. I just I don't want you to miss what it's like to have relationships between one another. And so, uh, we, we did that. This week, we're wrapping up this series, Better Together. <clears throat> and as we do, um, we are kind of in the Disney princess phase of life at home. And so, I have a five-year-old daughter that kind of dominates the TV. And so, last year for Christmas, what I did, I snuck out from my house. That's right. I'm a 30-something-year-old man sneaking out from my house. Um, And so, as as Christmas was approaching, I snuck out from my house. And do you remember two years ago, if you were walking to Walmart, some of you will because you wanted it. Two years ago, at Walmart in the entrance, there was the 13 Princess Barbie doll set. It was this, like, big, long box of Princess Barbie dolls. Does anybody? No one? Eighth grade guys are like, yeah, no. Okay, so this is 13 Princess Barbie doll set. So I snuck out of the house, got that for my daughter. And so now the the weekly conversation is, Daddy, do you think I can sing like Ariel? I'm like, well, I mean, kind of, but don't give your voice away to an underwater witch. So, like, we don't want to do that. And then we walk... Watch Pocahontas. Pocahontas. She's five. And so it's Pocahontas. Okay. Uh, Pocahontas this past week. And so we're, we're in this Disney phase. But <clears throat> I'll just say, I've got my favorite Disney movie. And my favorite Disney movie of all time, which I cannot get my daughter to watch with me, is Miracle. Miracle. It, Miracle's about the 1980 United States of America hockey team. And they beat the Russians. Okay. And so there's this scene in Miracle... There's a scene in Miracle where they go out and they play this exhibition game. They're getting ready to get into uh, competition play. I play this exhibition game. And throughout the game, it's kind of funny. You watch the players on the bench and they're like talking to girls in the stands. Okay? Kind of what I did in high school in baseball, but not the way to go about it. Um, When you're not very good, you've got to do something to fill your time because you're not on the field. So 
what goes on in the game is that they're, they're screwing around, doing all these stupid things on the bench, on the ice, stuff like that, not playing good. And so the, the coach pulls them aside after the game and he says, if you don't want to work hard during the game, you're going to work hard after the game. Really, really like kind of a flashback moment to my middle school basketball years. And so what, what we did, and I don't know if you've played middle school basketball, we would line up for free throws at the end of the practice, and every free throw missed, you run lines. And so lines in basketball, you start at the baseline, and then you run to the free throw line, then you run to the half court line and back, run to the other free throw line and back, run all the way to the other base court line and back, and if you're the last person, you do it again. Okay, and so we would do that at the end of every practice. And so in Miracle... The coach gets them, lines them up at the end, and he's, he blows the whistle. Go. 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 Over and over again. It gets to the point where he's working them so hard that the assistant coach and the medical director come up to him and say, you have to stop. You have to stop. This is not good for them. You have to stop. And he says, no, I'm not going to stop. And he keeps going and going and going, and then eventually he starts asking them, tell me your name. Who do you play for? And he tells them their name. Oh, you're like, oh, I've seen this part. Yeah, now you get it. You're tracking. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me your name. Who do you play for? And so, back in the 1980s, uh, professional players were not allowed to be in the Olympics. And so, it's all these college kids. And so, they're saying their name at Boston College. Saying their name, Michigan State. Saying their name, University of Texas in Arlington. That's not real. Um, and so, they're saying all these different things. And every single time they say that, blows the whistle, sends them again. And then... The captain of the team, after having gone back and forth over and over again, coach asked him, say your name, who do you play for? Says his name, says United States of America. I was like, yeah, big moment. Coach is like, that's right, you're dismissed. He gives him the speech. He says, what you have to understand is that the name on the back of your jersey, the last name, isn't near as important as the name on the front of your jersey. United States of America. And it's one of those moments that stuck out for me because I absolutely love team sports. I love playing for something bigger than myself. Like I can go out on a rec league softball field and have a bad game and feel great because we won. I absolutely love being on a team, love being a part of something bigger than myself. But one of the joys that I have in that, in being a part of something bigger than myself, is I've realized that you have to take yourself out of the equation and care more about the bigger picture than caring about yourself. So, the question is, how is it that we are a part of an organization that Jesus Christ brought to this earth, kind of commissioned, and yet, in churches today, we still have people who are focused more on themselves and the church at large. Where, where is it in that equation that Jesus talks about dying to self that we miss that and we still say, you know what, church is really still about me and my preferences. Now we're about to read a passage in Ephesians. It's a really, really cool passage. I, I won't even talk. It's a really cool passage. Really appreciate it. But it, it comes up in the midst of this controversy that Paul's dealing with. So Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and Paul's the guy who started off his career, like when he shows up in the Bible, he's the one holding the coats of all the people that are killing the first Christian. And so Paul shows up, 
as the guy who wants to kill Christians, Jesus comes into his life, rocks his world, and says, Paul, you're not going to kill Christians anymore. Now you're going to go make Christians all across the world. And so Paul says, okay, Jesus, I'll do that. That's wonderful. And he, and he does. But in the midst of that, he faces this opposition. Because the thing is that we, we, we just don't probably really fully grasp where we sit in the year 2019. When Jesus came to earth, He didn't come as just a human being. He came as a Jewish human being. And so Jesus was not the fulfillment of all prophecy of all time from all people. Jesus was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. Jesus was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. He was born to Jewish parents. He grew up as a Jewish carpenter. And He spoke to primarily Jewish audiences. And so what happened was when He started proclaiming salvation to people, the Jewish audience that he was speaking to, a lot of them thought, oh, it's time for Jewish salvation. And so as Paul starts preaching the gospel to everyone, the Jewish Christians said, no, 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 that's not right. They, they can't be saved. And Paul's like, no, 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 they can. And they're like, no, 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 no. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Savior. He's the culmination of our Jewish faith. And Paul says, no. He's not the culmination of Jewish faith. Alone. He is the Savior for all mankind. And it's incredibly tense. And there's actually a falling apart and a splitting in the church that occurs in Paul's ministry time because there were just some people that could not get on board with the fact that Jesus came to bring salvation to the world and Paul was going to carry that message to everyone. And so we, we read this in Ephesians 4 as a part of a divided church. Ephesians 4.1 Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, meaning I've got put in jail simply for following Jesus. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now he starts off, and it's pretty powerful. Like he's talking to these people, he says, I just, like for you, I want you simply to live up to what you've been called to. I want you to live up to, not your potential, not the way you were raised, but I want you to live up to what you were called to. And what you are called to is sonship and daughtership of God. That's a high calling. Like, that's a very, very, very high calling. And so, like, I need you to walk around like your Father's holy, therefore you be holy. And so I need you to walk around, live your life completely holy. Now, I just want to ask the question in the church. If all of us did just this, lived up to our calling, how unified would we be? If we walked around every single day, if when we came to this campus, if we went to our schools, that we walked around saying, my only goal, my only goal is to live like God's my Father. That's it. I guarantee you. I guarantee you we'd be a unified, loving, service-oriented, humble, gracious, awesome place to be place. No question about it. But we know it doesn't always work that way. And so the question is, when people don't live up to that calling, what do we do? Because you know this. Like if you're in a small group, if you're at church for any length of time, you know that there are people in this room that don't live up to that calling, that very high calling. Verse 2, always be humble and gentle. And when those people don't live up to their calling, be patient with each other. 
Make allowance for each other's fault. Why? Because of your love. So, I've been here for a little over three months now. If you're brand new here, I've only been here a little bit longer than you. I've only been here a little bit longer than you. So, <laughs> I've only been here for about three months. And one of the things about being new is that you tend to mess up more often than not. And so if you've ever been in sixth grade and you went to a brand new school and you walked down the wrong hallway, anybody do that? Any sixth graders do that? You got to admit to that? Yeah. I remember, I remember I was in my second week of sixth grade and there I found myself, I was like, man, this is not my classroom. Like I'm in the exact right spot, exact wrong hallway, right? And then I get late to class or whatever. My teacher said, hey, everything okay? I'm like, yeah. Went down the seventh grade hall. Those people are a lot taller than me. And she's like, yeah, <laughs> get used to it. So anyway, uh, I didn't know what she meant at the time, but now I do. And so, so one of the things I've been the recipient of at being here, there's some awesome people in this youth ministry who have made allowances for my, for my faults. Now when we talk about making allowances, making allowances is not a neutral thing. Okay, So when we talk about making allowance, it means that if somebody is deficient, somebody didn't do the right thing, making allowance is you help them come back to the right place. Making allowance says, hey, I'm not going to yell at you for getting it wrong, but I'm not going to help you. That's not making an allowance. Making an allowance is saying, look, I see where that person messed up. I'm going to do everything I can in my strength to pick them up from where they fell and bring them back to where they're supposed to be. I want you to think. What would this place be like? What would this place be like if when we see somebody fail, we didn't just avoid being mean, but we actually were intentional about picking them up, making allowance for their faults. It would be a pretty incredible place. Verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. One of the things I want to challenge you with, and the older you get in this youth ministry, the more I want to challenge you with it. You have a responsibility to the Lord to pursue peace inside this body. If in your small group, in your grade, in your Christian friendships, in this church, there is unpeace, there's disunity, there's anger, there's animosity, there's frustration, there's bitterness, your goal is not to just let that sit. Your responsibilities are to bind yourself with peace. Pursue that peace at whatever cost. Sometimes peace will come at great personal cost. I would hate to see in our youth ministry, I'd hate to see in our church, that there's unrest or unpeace that stays a part of it because we're unwilling to sacrificially pursue peace. Now, here's this next part and I, I want you to know that I wish we had more time to talk about these things. This is, I'm telling you, get your Bible, read this passage, study this passage, because these next three verses are incredibly powerful. But I, We're going to read these kind of quick, but I want you to know that when Paul's talking, he's saying, listen, there's so much that we have in common the things that we have in common are so powerful, are so important, are so big, that our minor differences should not be an issue to us at all. Because look at what binds us together. Check this out, verse 4. There's one body, and there's one spirit. 
We've been called to one glorious hope for the future, which means Christians. If you call yourself a Christian, do you know that your hope for eternity, your hope for the return of Jesus, is so big, so powerful, that the minor difference you have compare in such a minor way to what you actually have in, in unison? It goes on. There's one Lord. Guys, you all serve the same Lord. Which means your commands are all the same. You, you report to the same person. You... It doesn't make any sense to report to the same person and yet not get along with each other. You have one faith. You have this common belief that God created you. That mankind fell. That God sent His Son to be your Savior. That through faith you are saved and one day you will be reunited with God in eternity. That's your faith and you all share it. You have one baptism. One of the coolest things that happens in this youth ministry, one of the coolest things that happens in any church, is baptism. And here's what I saw last week. If you weren't here last week, we had a baptism service. We, we had a, a, a baptistry set up right here. We baptized three of our students. And you know what I saw? I saw students who were sitting in different parts of the room during the, the talk, different parts of the room during the singing, that were by themselves, on their phones, not paying attention, not caring about anyone else. And when it was time for baptism, do you know what happened? Everyone was right here. Shoulder to shoulder. There is nothing more uniting in a group of people than seeing lives changed. And it was incredible to see that we have one common baptism. That if you were dunked and I was dunked and they were dunked, we were all dunked, all as recognition of our followership of Jesus. He goes on. We have one God, one Father of all. He's over all of us, He's in all, and He's living through all. If we share all these things in common, how in the world could we be divided? Now, I want to... I want to cover these next passages, but for the sake of time, I actually do have to jump ahead. And so I'm going to skip 7, I'm going to skip 8, I'm going to skip 9, I'm going to skip 10. Read them on your own. Really encourage you to. Now these are the gifts, verse 11, that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. We, we should really be thankful for Christ-centered, God-honoring leaders. One of the really cool things about being here that I experienced the joy of is that we have some really, really awesome pastors on this staff. If you don't know Kevin Eckert, our lead pastor, you need to get to know him. He's a great dude. If you don't know Chad Warren, our connections pastor, you need to get to know him. He's a great dude. If you don't know Kurt Sparkman, our formation pastor, you need to get to know him. He's a great dude. I can go down the list of David, Griff, David Griffin, Kurt Prater, Brian Wagner, Brett Levi, LJ McC Like We have a great awesome, wonderful, Christ-centered, Christ-honoring pastoral team. And I will tell you that even in my short time here, I have experienced the blessing of being led by godly men who love Jesus. But they're not here just to lead me. They're not here just to lead you. They're here for a purpose. And the purpose is to equip the saints, to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Which means, when a pastor shows up here, their goal is to equip you to do the work of Christ. Now one of the things that we challenge you with in youth ministry, and we'll talk about over and over again, is we really want you to spend time reading God's Word. Now we, we provide these devotionals every single week. Every single week. Every single month, they're a month-long devotional. 
We provide these every single month. And one of the reasons we do that is our goal is to help you grow into spiritual maturity. Now, I'm going to tip my hand just a little bit. Check this out. We want you to continue yet such unity in faith that we will be mature in the Lord. Like our goal is to equip you in ways so that you can grow into spiritual maturity. Now, when I'm asking the question, how do I equip somebody? I want your heart, your head, and your hands to be ready for whatever work you need to do. And so if I'm thinking through Bible study, my goal is to make sure that your head lines up with what we want you to do. So I want you to think, okay, I know I need to read the Bible. Okay, so don't leave here tonight thinking you don't need to read the Bible, okay? Do you need to read the Bible? Yes. yes. Okay, so your head knows it. But your head knowing it is not enough. Like we know that, right? I want your heart. I want your heart to be turned towards Jesus so much that you cannot help but long to be in His Word. Like I want there to be an emotional response when you think about sitting down by yourself in the presence of God, reading His Word. And so I'll tell you stories. And I'll get people to tell you stories about how awesome it is to spend time in the presence of God. And I'm going to challenge you to be in the Word. Hopefully, move your heart to be in the Word. And then finally, I want to equip your hands. If you've ever used a tool that's brand new to you, you know that whatever that tool is can be very uncomfortable. If you're new to art and you're trying to sculpt and you're using a sculpting wheel or something like that, that's a brand new tool. It can be very, very difficult at the beginning. Like my kids right now, they're learning to use scissors. It's incredibly scary and difficult. And my son quits over and over again. Not because he doesn't want to cut it, but because the tool is too uncomfortable. Some of you, and I've been this way, choose not to read the Bible. Not because your head's not in it. Not because your heart's not in it. But because when you pick up that tool, it just doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel natural. And so because that tool doesn't feel natural, you set it aside for something that feels a little bit more natural. And so if you're asking the question, how do I make the Bible feel natural? I'm going to encourage you in a variety of ways. Some of it is, I'll say, pick a translation that makes sense to you. Like if you have your old grandma's Bible that's written in the King James Version with all the these, thous, and doists, like that, that may be why it doesn't feel comfortable. And so I'm going to challenge you in a variety of ways to make the tool feel comfortable. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the reason it doesn't feel comfortable is just because you don't use it consistently. And our, our comfort level with the Bible grows as we use the Bible more. Now, as we go through this, Paul goes on. He says, we'll no longer, once we've achieved maturity, we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Which means when you've grown to spiritual maturity, when you've been taught, when you've been raised up in the ways of the Lord, when you buy into what the church is calling you to, and you, you develop spiritual maturity, then... When your faith is tested, when people start saying different things, you're not going to say, oh, you know what, maybe, maybe Jesus didn't exist. Or, or maybe, maybe God didn't really create us. Or you know what, maybe God doesn't really call us to that kind of love for people. I think a lot of the failings of Christians... Or because they got saved, 
They prayed that prayer, they walked that aisle, they got baptized at that young age, and they never pursued spiritual growth. It's, I'm content to be saved, I'm content to go to heaven. But the problem, the problem is that those people, and for you, you are not called just to sit in these chairs. You are called to change the world in the name of Jesus. And when you do that, there will be trials. And there will be challenges. Verse 15, Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. If you want to talk about any unity that we should have in the church, it comes from this sole fact that the head of the church is Christ Himself. Like if you can't get behind, if you can't get behind the love we should have for one another, if you can't get behind all those different things that Christ calls us to, get behind this. That bringing yourself under the banner of Christ means you bring yourself under the banner of unity because He calls us to it. Finally, in 16, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This church, this youth ministry is a pretty incredible place. You're not all going to have the same experience. You're not all gifted the same way. Some of you will never step up on this stage. Some of you will never lead an intro. Some of you will never lead a Bible study. Some of you will never work in the sound booth. Some of you will never paint something for us. And this goes on and on of what you may not do. But the reality is you are gifted uniquely and you uniquely fit in this body. And when we buy into the idea that we're called to be unified even though we're different, this place can be a very special place. So I want to challenge you in three ways. Three ways, and if you, if you want to take one of these, take one of them. If you want to take all three, take all three. Here we go. First one is this. I want you to pray about your ministry at First Baptist Georgetown. And when I say pray about your ministry at First Baptist Georgetown, I don't mean pray about what ministry team you'll be on next. I want you to pray about your ministry in this church. Not just this youth ministry. Now this youth ministry does a great job of providing opportunities for which you, you can serve in. But I promise you that in your Christian life, you need more than just youth ministry. And so I want you to pray about what it would look like to be a greeter on Sunday mornings. Not up here, but in the sanctuary. I want you to pray about what it would look like for you to pour your life into a preschooler. One of my kids. I, I, I hope. I'm serious. I hope one of you serve in elementary ministry and lead one of my children to Christ. It would be awesome. I want you to pray about your ministry at FBG. I also want you to think through your, your commitment to grow spiritually. Like some of us have this idea that we can just stay where we're at spiritually. I want you to think about whether or not you're going to pursue spiritual maturity. And we don't have time to talk tonight about all the different levels of spiritual maturity that I want to talk to you about, but I, I just want you to know that some of you need to pray about what it looks like to take that next step in following Christ. So pray about your spiritual maturity. And then finally, I want you to commit to one, just one, one work of ministry this week. If you were to do one thing for the kingdom, what would that be? Commit to it, and if you need help figuring out how, let me know. Like, like you're saying, hey, the work of ministry this week is on Friday morning before school, I want to get a group of friends together and pray together. Like, that's the ministry I want to do this week. But Michael, I can't figure out how to do that. I can, I can talk to you about how. I really want to encourage you in the how. 
Because I view it as my responsibility to get your head in the right place, your heart in the right place, and your hands in the right place. I care about the how. But if you need help with the how, let me know. Christ has called us to be better together in our friendships, in our families, and in this church. And you all have a part to play. I just want to challenge you to fill that part well. Let's pray. Father, you're the great creator of all things. We know you love us. Thank you for using me and my imperfection, my failings, my shortcomings, my inability to love as you've called me to. Help us love one another well so that others may know your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.